Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. Harry Pine is here today with a complaint of a head cold. He's a 58-year-old male who's been relatively healthy except for some occasional flares of gout and infrequent GERD. He has no history of chronic disease. Harry is an engineer with grown children. He tells you his head cold symptoms began about three days ago. He has a runny nose, sinus pressure, post-nasal drip, and an intermittent cough that comes and goes. And he can't stand the, quote, junk running down the back of my throat, end quote. He has no other complaints. His vitals are normal, and his exam is consistent with a viral syndrome. Harry asks for an antibiotic, and you explain to him that his symptoms are most likely being caused by a virus and that an antibiotic won't help. He tells you, well, a couple of months ago, I had similar symptoms, and I took some of my wife's leftover antibiotics. I think it was amoxicillin. She had been given them for something and didn't finish them, so she kept them just in case. After two days on the medicine, I felt better. Why won't they work again the same way? Hi, this is Frank Domino, family physician and professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Joining me to discuss antibiotics in the community is Susan Feeney, assistant professor and coordinator of the Family Nurse Practitioner Tract at the Graduate School of Nursing at the University of Massachusetts Medical School. Susan, please tell me about how Harry's using these antibiotics. Well, does this sound familiar to you? Totally. Yes, and um, this is very common, and people tend to stockpile things if they're given them. So um, there's sort of like, where do you begin? Um, First of all, the concept of what is viral and what is bacterial, I mean, especially when you think about you know, we think about sinusitis. People often feel like this is something they should have an antibiotic for. And the guidelines really say, you know, most of sinus, sinus, sinusitis it starts off as viral, and most of it it will be. Um, and really, we look at length of symptoms. If someone's had symptoms for 10 days and they have been moderate, persistent, then you think, okay, maybe there's a secondary bacterial infection, right? It's, it's come about secondarily. And I think only 2% of people with upper respiratory tract sinusitis develop a bacterial infection. So it's a very small amount. But we've, um, we've developed a pattern for people. And the other thing that folks don't understand is that, you know, if he's had three days of, of viral symptoms and then he takes the antibiotic and he feels better in, five, in, two, three, in two or three days, well, that's about when the virus would start to feel better. Right. So it has nothing to do with the antibiotic. And the other thing is that antibiotics do have a mild anti-inflammatory effect, and so sometimes people feel better on that, but they can feel better with an ibuprofen. So it's really trying to explain to them um, and, and, and really holding our feet to the fire of not doing what's expedient and giving an antibiotic when we shouldn't. I, so. think, I think you're right, and I know there's a huge amount of pressure. Patients come in and ask for antibiotics all the time. I have family members that ask for them all the time. Um, I've often said that if, if antibiotics for upper respiratory tract infections came as suppositories, no one would want them. That's but, true. But now we've got Harry, and, and yes. look what he's doing. He's taking some of his <laughs> wife's leftover antibiotics. Right. 
how, how, what do we do about this? Is this common? This is very common. In fact, there was a, a review, a scoping review that came out um, just recently um, looking at the literature across the past 10 years on, on who's taking non-prescription antibiotics, and it was stunning. Um, there's a rate of anywhere from 3% to 66% based, <laughs> based on um, the, the type of study they did, on people saying that, they, yes, they've used a non-prescription anti antibiotic. And it's for various reasons, and there was a lot of gaps in the literature, but um, two of the studies looked at, well, why would you do this? And almost all of it was cold symptoms, cough, and some for um, UTI-type symptoms but the majority were taking them for the upper respiratory. And you know, you can't help but ask yourself as we've, we have started to show a little more antibiotic stewardship concepts in primary care. And so people come in with the idea that I have to fight for this antibiotic because they're not gonna give it to me. And so they can find it in various places as Harry did. As Harry did, absolutely. Right. So where, where do patients get them? And, and how common, how diverse is that? Um, the greatest amount of non-prescription use of, of antibiotics is from leftover meds. And it's for, and, and specifically, there was a, several studies looking at parents of children, and um, that there was as high as 48% in one study in, in, in uh, the Midwest that looked at, like 48% of, of parents said, yes, I have diverted antibiotics that I've had left over. Um, and given it to other siblings, to other their children, or to unrelated uh, friends and family, or friends, friends and, and you know other folks. So um, that seems to be the biggest source. But it comes from um, it can you can get antibiotics in a lot of places. Um, you can get them in uh, bodegas. You can get them in a lot of people are using pet antibiotics because it's the same Cipro. It's the same amoxicillin. Um, also, there are countries, a lot of them in, in uh, Central America and in South America, where you can get antibiotics without a prescription. And so people going there, I know friends who go on cruises and they'll stock up on, on Cipro that's in Mexico, you know, um, so that this is one way that it's also coming in. Wow. Um, are there populations that tend to do this more frequently? Well, and again, this could be a, a publication bias, but there was... Um, a lot of the studies, I think there were six of them, that looked at Latino communities because there was anecdotal evidence that people were getting, um, using these antibiotics more frequently. Um, but this, this um, when you looked at the Latino community, many of them were getting uh, antibiotics, some of them even IM, um, at bodegas. And uh, getting, you know, so oral, IM, and, and topical antibiotics. Wow. Yeah. I, it, we are in the U.S. an exception where we require a prescription for antibiotics. Right. In many parts of the world, That's you, right. you, don't, you don't need one. You just walk into a pharmacy, and as long as you're willing to pay for it, you can, you can right. get what you like. Well, and, and one of the things that they was brought out by this, by this uh, review was, you know, okay, why do people, you know, why are they not going to their primary care to get this? And one of them was... Um, because they, they can, it's readily available in other places, mm -hmm. that there was a whole subset of people who said, why do I need to go? I know when I need one. Mm -hmm. you, we, we know a lot of patients that do it, <laughs> like Harry, um, and so I have to go pay a copay and then get a prescription. I can just get this and, and not have the hassle. Um, and then there's a whole subset of people uh, now that may be undocumented, or even if they are legal residents of the country, 
are fearful to go um, because of the current climate. So there's a whole host of reasons why people will not seek a, a sort of appropriate antibiotic use. And of course, the risk is, you know, we always worry about resistance. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, antibiotics are not benign. They can cause C. diff and a, and a whole lot of other super infections. And, you know, in one of the studies said that, you know, when you look at Europe, there's a lot of studies in Europe where it says that when there's high non-prescription antibiotic use, there appears to be high antibiotic resistance as well. Although there's really not been a lot of studies in the United States uh, looking at the, those two uh, factors. I think it's very interesting that um, there are antibiotics available in the community that uh, I, I was unaware of. I certainly have plenty of family members that stock up on anything left over right. and then ask me years later what to do with them. So so what are we going to do with Harry now? Because Harry's one of those professionals. He's He, he, he probably doesn't want to miss work, and he, he's his right. mindset. He, he's We have some provider guilt, too, because oh, they came in, so now we're worried we got to do something. Right. And, and it takes time. I know it, we we also don't want to disappoint our our, our patients. But it, it and this is a case we have to say, look, Harry, I have to tell you, you know, this is a viral illness, and you got better after five days because that's when the virus goes away. And let me talk to you a little bit about how, the trajectory of a viral illness. When you would need an antibiotic, is if it's ten days and you're still feeling as lousy as you are today, then we can give it. And let me tell you why it's not good to give you this medication. So then I would also say to him is, and I don't know what your wife's the dose was because you always want to make sure if you're going to be prescribing an antibiotic that I'm using the right drug for the right bug, that I'm giving you the correct dose based on evidence and for the correct length of time. And you, we have no idea. I don't know what dose you were even taking and for how long. So this really could hurt you. And, you know, I really want to work with you and make you feel better. And there's things we can do to help you with your cold, you know, and, and go through some of the sinus hygiene and, and you know, and talk about that. Well, I think that's a very good point. I think uh, Alan Ehrlich always likes to say patients don't come in. Um, their, their primary reason is that they want to feel better. Exactly. And if we address that primary reason, we can often avoid the antibiotic. Right, and it's the same thing with cough. It's like, you know, giving someone a cough for a, for a viral bronchitis mm. is, is, you're not treating their cough. Right. So treat their cough. Right. You know, exactly. they, they assume, I need an antibiotic. Like, actually, no, what you need is an epitropium inhaler. Yeah, you know, great. so, you know, I think it's taking the time to really work with them because they want to feel better. That's really the reason. And it's probably because we haven't taken the time in the past mm -hmm. to to explain this to people. I agree. I agree. Part of this lays with us. Well, thank yes. you very much, Susan. This well, is great. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Practice pointer. Patients often take prescriptions without being prescribed them, so inquire about that. Resources to help with preventing drug resistance and appropriate antibiotic stewardship are available on the landing page. Join us next time when we talk about celiac disease and risk factors that may influence its development in infants and young children. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com podcast, and see you next week.